0: Wow! what a project. And so, like Christy said, thank you for everybody who volunteered your time, your treasure, your talent to make that happen. And, um, and I know our kiddos appreciate it. I know that we'll see lots of amazing things happening. Uh, hopefully, our dream has been that If you have a family reunion and you're like, hey, I would love to use the park, or if you're having a barbecue with friends, you're doing a community group, that's a place that you can be, you can use, and um, man, it really turned out great, so thank you, thank you, thank you for that, and uh, we really, really appreciate it, and we do hope that you come grab something to eat, because it wouldn't be church if you didn't eat, right? (laughs) You didn't fill up on the donuts, did you? No? Okay. So uh, we're going to have a great lunch after there. You get a chance to experience it. And then we have many more things in uh, plans for the future of the church. So uh, let's pray and we'll get started. God, we thank you for today. We love you for your, for your word that we're going to read today. We love you for today, Jesus, that today was the day of victory. Today was the day that, that literally began the process of the changing of the entire world. And so, God, as we celebrate today... With palm and victory and rejoicing, God, we thank you that we have that in our lives now. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, we have victory in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in our series on Luke, and uh, we are getting close to the very end. We are going to look at Luke chapter 19. And I know you, if you've been to service before, if you've been to church in, in, your, in your history, you will have heard a Palm Sunday service. And you will have talked about the palm a lot. Now to us, I mean, coming from Michigan, when we drove out here and I saw palm trees, it was, it was quite spectacular. You, we, now I can say me, I don't appreciate them as much anymore, right? Now they're kind of annoying, you got to trim them, right? But to us... Northerners, it was amazing. It felt like instantly I was on vacation. It meant something. When you saw the palm trees and you saw the palm trees in LA, for us, at least it was something like another world. It meant something when we saw it. This is some, kind of, some of what happens here on Palm Sunday. It's just a branch. But it's really what the branch symbolizes. Now, I titled this message, uh, it's a little strange, but I titled it based on the two most important things about Palm Sunday that we're going to do a really deep dive into here, and that's Col- the Col- I titled it Colton Palm. And these are the symbols of something new. When you read this section in, in uh, Luke, you're going to see symbolism sometimes. It's like, well, well that's not relevant to me. It doesn't like make sense necessarily in our context, in our time, but it makes tremendous sense to the people who are experiencing it. And these symbols, although they are symbols of something, they never go away. It's why we still celebrate the palm. It's why it's still something that we can physically look at and say, "Victory is in that palm." When I celebrate what Christ did on the cross when you think about something new, Jesus is doing something new. He is, he is bringing a revolution that no one has ever seen in a way that people didn't expect. They weren't ready for it. And it became something that changed the entire world. And they had no idea the significance that was happening. It happens through these two symbols in a way. They represent something powerful. But if you, I was going to ask a question. Do you ever recall a time? when you experienced or saw something new that when you saw it, you said there's no going back, this has changed everything, and I will never go back to the old ways. I was thinking about the very first time I saw a plasma TV. Now for you who are 20 and under, a plasma TV is what we originally called flat screens. and. Um, You would see it now as like, well, every screen is flat now. It would be so strange to see a a, a TV that wasn't any any thicker than this. But back in the day, do you remember me? People who are older, right? You remember when you saw the flat screen. I'll never forget. We were going to purchase a flat screen in our family, and the guy quoted us $10,000 for a 42-inch plasma screen. They were brand new on the market, and I remember my dad, like, him and, and hawing, like, oh, man, I, sh- I, I should get that. And we were like, Dad, the, the future's here. <laughs> it's the screen, it's flat. It was, like, incredible. I knew I would never, ever see something like that again, and here we are now. I just take it for granted. I'll never forget when the iPhone came out, and it came out, and we started looking at it, and I thought, a phone that doesn't flip open? Like I remember this is in the day of the Razor. Does anybody remember the Razor, the hottest, coolest phone around? And now I kind of wish we had those days back. But anyways, the, the phone, and it was like you could scroll through things, and it was amazing. It was a computer in your hand. I, I just I would never I, I remember thinking at that time, we just went forward into the future 50 years in my mind. This was incredible. Now it's like I, I take my phone and I throw it on the ground or on the bed and I'm like, ah, whatever. Like I don't even think about it. More recently for me, I think, when I saw SpaceX land those two rockets like by themselves, and I thought, we're bringing rockets back and landing them remotely? Where are we? I saw something new that I will never unsee, and it changed the way I think about it. If we didn't do that now, I think, what a waste. Now we just land rockets. Maybe those are surface-level things, but maybe it was when you saw your spouse. And you were walking, and you said something new. Like, you know what I mean? Like, wow. Or when you're dating them and you're getting to know them, you're like, this is different. I've done so much premarital counseling. I usually ask the couple, like, why are we sitting here today? What brought you here? Tell me about this person that makes you say, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And it's usually that, you know, I, I, I have dated other people and, and it was just kind of this, you know, this pattern. I, did, I, I, I just knew this was when I wasn't what I wanted. And I realized when I met this person, they were what I wanted and it changed their life. Or when you held your child, Chad, you know this. There's Chad and Sarah pre-Zoe and Chad and Sarah post-Zoe. And you're a very different man now because you're always tired and, you know, yawning. <laughs> In meetings, I'll see you yawn now. I'm like, wow, this is new. There, there is a change in your life, the way you think about your life, the, what you're planning for, how you structure your life. Getting in a car is no longer five minutes. It's 45 minutes. It's changed your entire life. It's something new, right? How about when you met Christ, though? What was that like? If you can, if you can bring yourself back there, and I always try to remind people to go back there. Because it was something new. He's not a plasma screen. He's not rockets landing. It's not a phone. It's not even a child or spouse. This is something new. That no one has ever experienced. And when you met Christ, it's funny because when I was thinking about that for myself, my life was on one trajectory. And when I met Christ, something new My life went a completely different direction than I would have ever thought and what I had ever planned. And that is a revelation and something so powerful, so new. It changed the course of my life. My phone does not do that. Jesus does that. Let me read in Isaiah 43. This is such a very good passage. And Isaiah 43 is important to know because if you're in here and you're saying, man... I don't know. I need, I need Jesus in my life. I need, I, I'm going through a hard time. I'm going through a difficult time. Let me remind you of Isaiah 43, 8. And it says this. It's up on the screens. But you can also look it up uh, in, on your phone or in your Bible. It says, do not call to mind. This is a prophecy of what God is going to do in the world through Christ. They call that a messianic prophecy. Do not call to mind the former things. Pay no attention to the old things, meaning something is new, is coming, and it's time to think new. It says, Behold, I'm about to do something new. Even now, it's coming. I love this part. Do you not see it? I'm moving, and do you not see it? Before you met Christ, I guarantee you, God was doing something but you just didn't maybe quite see it, but you could start to see it, and maybe you could start to feel it. But something was coming, and something new was coming. He says, Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Do you know what that means? That even though you are in a desolate place, even though it seems like there's no hope, that there is going to be a way being made, where it felt like you would wander, but now there's a path. And now that there's no life, that there's stream, there's going to be life in this desert. And you may have felt that way and feel that way, maybe even now. You forget that there are streams in that desert you're in, and there are paths made for you. Now this was very much on the mind of the people who were there present on this day when they have their palm in hand and they're shouting for Jesus to come. It's on their mind, they're ushering him in, they have a lot of other things on their mind, but this is one, something new is happening. This is very, very different. And I think when we read this passage in Luke, there's two symbols that are going to represent peace, hope, joy, victory, freedom. These symbols are going to represent that, and they're going to know what they mean. One is going to be a symbol of what Jesus brings. The other is going to be a symbol of how we respond to what Jesus is bringing. The first symbol is a colt. And when you read the Bible, sometimes Jesus isn't as cool as I want him to be. Do you know what I'm talking about? He's not what I exactly picture when I read the Bible and I read that Jesus says to them to get him a colt, a, a donkey, I think a donkey. Why not a Clydesdale? Why not ride one of those Budweiser horses right down into the temple? Why not my Jesus look like that? Why not a stallion or a war horse? All the Romans had war horses. As a matter of fact, they would bring their war horses out, and that meant... That, listen, I'm here, and I don't, I'm not here to mess around. I mean business. Order by force. And so Jesus comes on a donkey. And I was thinking about this when I was reading this passage. Like, when have I ever had God show up in a way that I did not expect? And he didn't meet my expectations, or I thought he would come in a different way. And I think this is a little bit how when we read that passage we can feel. is like, Jesus has entered your life in different ways. What he brought maybe wasn't what you expected, but what he brought is what you needed. I, 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 when I had my uh, uh, cancer timeout in the fall, I had some time, and I was thinking a lot about some things, and it was weird because, I don't know if you've ever had this, but there's times in your life when you just wonder if some things will ever change within you, but in those really hard moments or those times where you just have maybe some fear, or you're just thinking, like, why is this happening to me? And maybe you're all alone or feel alone. I remember <clears throat> being there, and I remember God speaking very clearly to me and about two very specific things, which I'll just keep to myself. And God did something in that moment. And maybe you can relate to me. In that moment where you didn't ex- I didn't expect God to come to me in the moment about what he was coming to me about, but he really showed me something that transformed a part of my life and in that moment I'll I'll never forget what he did and it manifests in such a unique way now in my life that I just think man you you came when I didn't expect you and you came in the way that I didn't expect you and you did something in my heart that I didn't expect and never thought would be able to really happen for me in a way you never know how God comes, and you never know how he enters. We should get rid of all the expectations that we have for God to do and just realize when we're reading him coming in on a donkey, it probably shocked a lot of people, or maybe it didn't. Maybe to them it meant something. I think maybe we'll see that what he means here. You know, Jesus, I think this is true, is that he's the true bringer of peace to all mankind, and this is what this cult represents. He's the true bringer of peace. Peace that's beyond all of our understanding. Peace is beyond any circumstance. Peace that's beyond these people's circumstance. Now listen, historically, when we hear that, like Jesus came to bring peace, historically, the world is a desert of war, injustice, destruction. You know, I think that ultimately we think, well, there's no, there's no war here and now, but there's not, it's, it's not that case everywhere. There's war always. Around the world right now, there is injustice, there is tragedy, and there is destruction happening all over the world. And so, when I think about Jesus bringing peace, how did he bring peace? What does this cult represent? This isn't how God would come triumphantly and take out every obstacle in our life or every regime that's around us. I think this is true, though, is that Jesus offers salvation, not by war. He offers salvation, not by revenge, and ultimately not through governance, but he he offers salvation in a transformative, individual way. God honors the individual, and he honors them individually with salvation, and they are transformed by it. And so no matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what these people were going through and are going to go through, He's coming as a peacekeeper. He's offering something that they have never had before ever in their life. Even in great oppression, destruction, and injustice, Jesus comes with hope, peace, and life. Now, I know you may... Read this story, or maybe on Sunday, you think, okay, the Paul means that Jesus is a victor in my life, but it's more than what you even probably realize, is that what he's won for you might be beyond your comprehension. So when difficulty comes your way, and struggles come your way, which all of his disciples are going to experience, the peace they won is what holds them in all of the difficulty. You are not alone in this. You are in a company of many, 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 probably millions who have held on to that peace in a very hard time in their life. Let's look at Luke 19, 28. This is where the story begins, and it says in verse 29, when he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mount of, called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into a village in, in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied and which no one has ever sat. Remember that. No one has ever sat. Why a colt? Why, why a little colt? When I was thinking of like how I imagined Jesus to be, when I was just googling like images of Jesus on his triumphal entry, I was quite shocked by the images that people want to see Jesus as. Put, put this first one up. This was an image that uh, Jesus in the art of war, okay, <laughs> I thought, maybe not, okay, look at this next one, this, this next image was, <laughs> thought, wow, how we want, and listen, listen, that's fine, I know Jesus didn't have access to protein powder back in the day, but where we're sometimes we bring Jesus places and imagine him to be something that really wasn't, and then uh, let's see this last one here. This one's probably my most uh, shocking one. You can put this next one up. This is uh, Jesus uh, with a tattoo saying instead of mother, father, but he looks like Patrick Swayze from Roadhouse, and this is the real problem. (laughs) I think... How do we see Jesus? Is he coming the way that we think he's coming? Now, put this next slide up. This is how the people thought Jesus was going to come, just like Alexander the Great centuries before. Alexander the Great comes into the city. The people are ushering him in very much like Jesus. He goes into the temple. He sacrifices, and he honors God, right? And they honor him. And he comes as a dominant Threat on a war horse. And they naturally submit to that. This is how they think Jesus is probably coming. But you know what? In ancient Middle Eastern times, what they knew, which we didn't know, is that when you went to war, you rode on your war horse. And when you came in peace as a king, you rode on the mule. It was a symbol of peace. It was an offering saying that there's no threat here. I will not march My war horse through your streets, I will come on on a symbol of peace. And that was the colt. And I think in their culture, there's a lot of meaning when Jesus comes up on the colt and what it meant. There's a lot of prophetic meaning to it that wouldn't resonate necessarily with us now. But at that time, they knew that the very first, like, this blessing mentioned with the colt came down from Jacob to his son Judah. Now, Jesus is in the line of Judah, and this is in Genesis 49. And he's in the line of Judah, right, his lineage. And in that blessing, there's a blessing of a colt of which Judah will ride and bring triumph. Right, so we see this very first entrance of a colt. And then we see Solomon. Solomon, as he rides in, is introduced as king. He's riding on a mule, on a colt. Solomon's an interesting king to look at because Solomon is a king who had no war while he was reigning. There was prosperity, there was life. You could build a life. And he did it through diplomacy. It was a very different kind of king who was reigning. That's in 1 Kings. You can read that. But central to Solomon's goal was that he would build a temple to worship God and give all glory to God. And so therefore he built the very first temple. Now Jesus is coming in. There is a temple. And he is riding in very much how Solomon did as king. But he's bringing a peace Beyond that, he's bringing a, a connection to God that people couldn't get even in Solomon's day under all that peace. But the most interesting one is Zechariah. He would be considered what the Bible, what we would say is the, one of the minor prophets. He's, he's a prophet who is just left exile after they have been uh, released in, through the Persian Empire and let, let free to come back to Jerusalem after it has been devastated. The temple destroyed And they're coming back after being captive for 70 years. Zechariah is born in captivity. And he is returning with his grandfather and his father. And he grows up in a destroyed nation. I was thinking about this. Man, what would it be like? He comes back. It's ruined. It's destroyed. The temple's crushed. The people are desolate. I wonder this about now of even these people of Ukraine as they return to their cities and it's been destroyed and their homes have been blown up and it's destroyed and and desolate and they have to start over and clean streets. And we saw this all throughout history and all throughout wars. He's coming back to that. Now, if you think your life is bad, I want you to put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. But as he raises to a place of a high priest and ultimately to a prophet, He says this, and it's very, very significant. And it's very significant about Jesus writing in about this moment. Let me read it to you. It's in Zechariah 9, 9 through 11. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud. Now this is a man in a tough place. And if you can find some resolve when you're you're struggling, think of Zechariah. He's writing these wonderful things. And prophesying about who God is. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's on his way. Can you feel it? Can you see it? A stream in the desert. Righteousness, right? And having salvation, is, uh, is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a, uh, of a donkey, Verse 10, I will cut off the chariots. This is the war machine of all destruction. I will, I will, um, and, and the war horse of, and uh, the war horse of Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, meaning all the war machine, all the destruction, everything that comes against you, I will stop them. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. And as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant, God says with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. What a beautiful description of what's happening on that Palm Sunday. Jesus is coming in on this colt, bringing peace, one that's never been sat on before. Now when you look at Zechariah, His whole focus was rebuilding the temple, bringing worship back to God, connecting people back with God, right? And if you remember this, when you think about Zechariah, remember that Zechariah's name literally means God remembered or God has not forgotten about you. What a word in a time of real struggle. What a word in a time of when it feels hopeless. I think Jesus is telling us in this symbol that peace has come. And Luke writes this down for a specific reason. That there has never been a king before that has brought what he's brought. That's why no one has ever sat on this colt. That's why it was important. It needed to be important because no one comes in this way. No government can promise what Jesus promised. No, no, no leader can promise that. Only Jesus can bring that. It's beyond all of our comprehension. And if you forget, or you're alone, or you're shaken, or you're ever destroyed, just remember Zechariah's name that God remembered. And he does not forget you. And he will not leave you, just like he did not leave these people, and just like the symbol of this cult, this way of peace that Jesus comes. Now Jesus does come on a war horse. Only in the end of the days when he brings true judgment. Then he will come on a war horse. But now he comes in peace. And he's offering peace to the world. The palm is something else. It's a very different thing. So Jesus is, this is how he comes into our life. Right? The palm is the response to how he comes into our life. It's our response. This is why Palm Sunday is such a beautiful day to celebrate. Because it's just a symbol of what he means in our life. And the response of how he came into our life. It's a symbol of freedom from Domination and destruction. I always want you to go back to when you found Christ because when we were in sin in a way, cut off from God and needed deliverance, we were dominated and we were being destroyed by sin. Sin's very simple to walk, watch its path. You can see it. It becomes very destructive in someone's life and ultimately kills a part of their life. Walk it all the way out. It promises one thing and it delivers another. He gave us freedom from domination and destruction of sin. And the poem was almost like their fireworks. Their 4th of July, if you will. That's what ours is. It's a celebration that there was freedom that was won. It's a celebration of victory. And we remember it. That's why we do it. It's, it's their fireworks in a way. Verse 35, And they brought it to Jesus, this colt, and they threw their cloaks on the colt. They sat him on it, and they rode along, and they spread their cloaks on the road. Now, Luke does not say anything particular about palms, but all of the Gospels do, especially Mark 21. There's cloak and there's palms, and so we know there's a consensus that he is coming in, and they are grabbing palms from trees, and it was a symbol That when your leader came from a long pilgrimage and entered the city, you brought palms out and welcomed your leader. And that's exactly what they did. It meant freedom. It meant victory. It meant their lives were going to be sustained or their lives were going to be different. There's also a throwback all the way from Palm Sunday to the Festival of the Booths. Now, I know you love the Festival of the Booths. You're, you know, you're thinking about it all the time. It really was an interesting celebration because God told them, I want you to celebrate the moment that I took you out of Egypt. And this is in exodus. And you'll see it really noted in Leviticus. But he told them, go, I'll read the passage. Why don't I just go to that? It says um, in Leviticus 23:40, And you shall take... On the day, on the first day, the first fruits of splendid trees, branches of palms, and brought of leaves, uh, trees, willows, brook uh, of the brooks, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. For what they did is, they built these booths, these huts, if you will, and they lived under these palm huts for seven days and it was a reminder that they were once in captivity but now they are free Jesus is this representation of this second exodus for us from sin and so the poem represents that it goes all the way back it meant something very deep to them but the poem symbolizes salvation it's today just as it is back then for them And it's as significant as if you were enslaved in Egypt and you were brought into freedom by God. And it's the same now and it will be the same even into the end. Let's read what it looks like in Revelation 7-9 about the poem. Now, Revelation 7-9 is this image that John, the, the, the apostle, sees of the end. He gets a glimpse into what eternity looks like when all is set right by God. Now, look, now read this, in uh, starting in 9. After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, meaning they're righteous before God, with the palm branch in their hand, The palm doesn't go away. The symbol of victory doesn't go away. And Christ brings freedom to all people, all tribes, all languages, which means that look at this room. Most of us, I don't think, are from Israel. Jesus came to bring peace, and not the peace that we would expect always, but the peace internally that changes our life eternally. And it's for now... And it's for eternity. And we will have this palm of victory in our hand. This is, by the way, you're in this group. You're in this crowd. Raising your palm. Crying out aloud, salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now we'll pick back up in Luke 30, verse 37. And he was drawing near, already on his way down to the Mount of Olives. And the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice from all of, the, of his mighty works that they had just seen. Now remember, they had just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. That's the, the, the icing on the top or the cherry on the top of all the miracles he's done. Now they've seen a man come back from the dead. And they're sh- cheering and they're shouting, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, they are quoting a messianic prophecy in Psalms 118. In Psalm 118, there's, you should read it. It's fantastic. But I'll read what is just before the quote. And maybe it'll give us even a little bit more appreciation about what they're cheering about. And why they're saying this. Psalm 118, the lead-in to the quote. He says, open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is something new. He says, uh, this is the gate of the Lord of righteousness and, uh, and shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders reject has come, become the cornerstone. So we know this was said about Jesus, that he was this stone that they will reject, but he ultimately becomes the anchor stone. In verse 23, it says, This is the Lord's doing. He will do this. You can do nothing. He will do this. He will make you righteous before him. He is opening the door. And it's a marvelous thing in our eyes, they say. In verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And meaning day. It's not a day. It's an era. You know, when you were talking to your grandfather, and he would say, well, in my day, you know what I'm talking about? He's referring to an era. We didn't have those doohickey phones, right? Like whatever he was referring to, it was before the Internet, right? Right? That was an era. But now this is a new era. This is the day, the era that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad of it. Let's finish out with this last verse, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're getting a little wild, not a hand. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now what a weird thing to say. Meaning are rocks going to cry out? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer in that God loves his creation and his creation is also alive in God. So I'm a big believer that whatever he's speaking to here must mean that if they don't shout, my creation will shout. But you have to know that this comes from a very specific thing. And sometimes we read over it and we think, well, the rocks would get excited. That's not what he's necessarily talking about. In Habakkuk, too, when he is talking about the injustices that are happening all throughout, these leaders are destroying people's lives, and their cities are built on blood, and they're greedy and ravenous, and they're they're really ultimately oppressing the people. Habakkuk says, that Abel was killed. God said, I hear... Your brother's blood crying out from the ground, right? There's something about this kind of imagery. So when Jesus says to these guys, listen, if they don't shout, then the very stones will cry out. Now to them, maybe it meant how unjust they were. Or maybe it means that the world, the creation, the cosmos is waiting for this moment and it's ushering Jesus in that Jesus is ultimately saying creation has been crying out, and they're crying out for him. I love this story because we see how Jesus came and what he brings that's beyond all comprehension. And we see that our response is that there's victory here. We should celebrate. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter who's in power, no matter the era that, that we may think we're in, we're in the era of Christ. We're in the new day era. We're in the era of, of streams and deserts and roads and pathways and wastelands. And so, if you came in here today and you have felt like you have struggled with your hope and you've struggled with whether you do have victory, you can wave your palm because there is victory. You can celebrate because the way Jesus came is the Prince of Peace to bring it to your life. And no matter what happens that will never ever change. Let's close them if we could bow our heads. You know today we're celebrating peace that surpasses all understanding from the prince of peace. Right? And today we're celebrating victory that brought us salvation from the king of kings and the lord of lords. And I think today we're celebrating so that the stones won't have to. Because there's Crying out for justice in Jesus. We should, through our works, our actions, and our praise, praise how just he is. He's doing a new thing in a desert place that brings life. And no matter what you have experienced in your life, in your desert life, if it's been that way and felt that way. And I know I've talked to many people, and I myself have felt this way. Honestly, even in the last two years, I've really struggled But I know that I can hold my palm and say victory is here. That the king of kings is here. And that there are streams in this desert place. And there are roads and pathways for me to go on. And I'm not lost. I am remembered. And he will never forget you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So today is our day to celebrate victory in Christ. God, we love you. We thank you. As we sing this last song, God, as we shout out about salvation and Hosanna in the highest, your salvation comes. Let this day, God, be another reminder that we walk out and we don't look at the world around us, And we don't don't weigh all the circumstances on whether we're okay or not. We weigh one circumstance, and that was the very day, Jesus, you met us in that moment and transformed and brought something new into our life. And you were bringing us in a path that we never thought we'd be. But you will never, never leave us in that path. And you will be there for us to complete it. What you started, God, you will finish, like Paul says. So we love you and we thank you for your sacrifice, for your leadership, for your guidance, and God, for your love for this world that all nations, all tribes, all people, all languages will stand there one day united, not divided, with our palm in hand. And all of us in this room will be holding a palm in the end, shouting and chanting, Salvation, Salvation, Salvation. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this last song?